Some people have their best ideas in the gym because it's where they're at their most creative. Some people have their best ideas when they're lying in bed at night and they switch off and all of a sudden, pow, there it comes. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby. And recently I had the pleasure of interviewing Stuart Mitchell. Stu founded Hampton North in 2022, and his goal was to build the most trusted cybersecurity search firm in the United States. Despite the downturn in the tech market, they're on pace to build between one and a half and $2 million in their very first year. With over a decade of experience, Stu's been a successful billing manager. He's personally built over a million dollars himself, while also building a multi-million dollar team. Stu's placed some of the most well-known cybersecurity executives into financial services companies, retail brands, and tech giants alike. He's built cybersecurity programs from zero to 20 people on multiple occasions, including in one case, he achieved one of these scale-ups in less than eight weeks, which is astonishing. Let's dive into the interview. Stu, welcome. Thanks for being here. Mark, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right, awesome. So I think... I, well, I follow your content on LinkedIn, by the way, which is brilliant. And I would encourage everyone to, you know, check out Stuart Mitchell on LinkedIn and follow him if you don't already. They, people might already be following you because I know you have 40,000 uh, followers, but I think that's how we originally connected. And then uh, I had a brilliant guy called Stephen, is it Stephen Lee? Yeah, Stephen yeah. Lee. Uh, from Tokyo on the podcast. Uh, and he says he knew you and he recommended that I should have you on the show as well. So that's that's what led us to to be here today. How do you know Stephen? So I think the cybersecurity recruitment community community in itself is fairly small and there is a I would say there's a collective group of cream that that rises um and Stephen is is one of those. He's very very good at what he does. Um you know, I would say from a content perspective is is very consistent. So he's somebody that I guess we we saw each other and kind of appreciated that we were doing the same things. I actually tried to get him to move to the United States to come and work with me. Um, I think this oh, cool. was at kind of the point where he had really accelerated his network in Tokyo. So it was a no-go. Um, but wonderful person, have a ton of respect for the way that he does business, which is very community orientated and actually adds value to his industry, which I think is something that's so important. I think everybody gets into recruitment and you ask what they, what your actual USP is and what you're adding to the market. And a lot of people can't answer that question. Um, whereas Stephen is, is doing great things and I actually met him for the first time uh, in, in April and just what a wonderful person, just the nicest guy. Absolutely. Exactly. That was my immediate impression is such a nice guy. It's great when you meet those nice guys in, in recruitment. So so thanks to shout out to Stephen for connecting me and, and Stu. Um, Stu, could you just give a little bit about how you got into recruiting and like your journey to get to this point? And then I obviously want to spend the most of the time talking about uh, Hampton North, which is a really exciting uh, development in your in your path. But what? Uh, how did you get into recruiting? Yeah, so it's kind of the, the tale as old as time in that I fell into recruiting. I can't imagine how often you hear that. I don't know how many yeah. six-year-olds grow up wanting to be a recruiter, and maybe that changes at, at some point. But um, I, being very honest with myself, I probably threw away a ton. Like, I could have gone a lot further with my education and did not maximize the opportunities that were were given to me. So kind of found myself out of school with, less options than perhaps the intelligence that my parents passed down to me maybe should have offered to me. So I kind of bopped around jobs, um, you know, got fired a few times, you know, wasn't, you know, I think I probably got, probably had six jobs in the first two years of my career because I, you know, I was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a rebel and, and just never found anything that spoke to me. And, you know, a friend of mine picked me up for a, for a cricket match in, in the UK and, Guy was maybe 25, 26, and he 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 pulls up in this brand new BMW. And you know, I like shiny things. And I was like, Phil, Phil, what do you do? And he's actually still in the recruitment world. He he lives in the UK. I think he he runs talent maybe for Travis Perkins. I can't remember, but um still in the space. And I was like, what do you do? And and he's like, I'm a I'm a recruiter. I was like, hey, I 
how do I do that? And so he actually connected me with somebody who hired entry-level staff. I, I started in my hometown, learned some fundamentals. Um, after six or seven months in, I realized that there was more opportunity for me to move to London, which is where it seemed the kind of, at least in the UK. And, and I feel like that has changed a little bit, but back in 2012, mm -hmm. anything that happened happened in London, at least that was my viewpoint. Um, so kind of fell into it and, and, and found myself getting on a, on a train down to London and, and taking a job in, in SAP recruitment, which will date me a little bit because that was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was the cutting edge and the rage in technology. So, um, made that jump. Um, I think my career and I, I think it, in my career in all honesty was fine in the UK. Um, I, I think in my first full year did like a hundred, 120 grand, like I did okay. And, and so, yeah. um, leverage that to get a better offer at a better company. Um, went and worked for a, like a very decorated CEO at the time who had invested, uh, in a company who were building out a contract team across Europe. And so this is now, we're now fast forward to 2013. I'm still in London. I take a job for this company who are in Newcastle, who are opening an office in, in London, um, do okay there for a year, kind of push forward a little bit in my next year. And essentially they, we get to a point where the London experiment for them doesn't work out. They don't want to lose me. They actually wanted me to move to Newcastle. Um, coincidentally, I had a love interest in the United States at the time. She was studying in Europe, about to move to the US. And I was like, hey, I know you have a couple people in New York. Maybe we look at that. Um, or I'm probably going to take a job in the US anyway, because that at the time that felt like the right thing to do. So um, essentially, essentially, we made the, the decision um, we kind of went New York on a on a trial basis for six months, and it it was amazing for me. So that's that's kind of how I ended up in in the United States and and New York City, um, which was amazing. We're now in 2014. I'm still still young. Um, worked for a company called Elliot Brown, and we did okay there. We went from I think uh, when I got there, there was three of us. I think at our largest, we we're maybe 35 heads. Um, I do think this is something I see with the UK company scaling into the US. It gets really far and then it goes back and it gets really far and it goes back again. And, it, and we can we could never kind of get much further than that. Um, but had a had a blast working there. It was very UK culture centric, higher grads. Like I get older, everyone else stays the same age and sticks around for a year or two and and, and moves on. So then went and um joined a company called called Start and May, who you know, a little bit more. Oh yeah, for a little bit more of a mature culture. Um, really, was a nice segue for me in terms of where I wanted to be from a career perspective. The numbers they were doing were a lot higher. I was fortunate, at least in kind of my first six or seven months there, to work next to a one point four million dollar biller. And at this point in my career in twenty eighteen, I I didn't know that I didn't know that million dollar billers were real. Uh, I thought they were this myth that you talked about in a bar and someone's friend's cousin was a million dollar biller. I'd never seen one. And so, um, you know, I, I saw it in the flesh and I think this is one of the things And I think over the last couple of years, the stigma of a million dollar biller has changed because I think more and more people did it in the boom of 21, 22, but kind of back in 2018, I was like, wow, this, this human is, is real. And I kind of looked at him and, and whilst he is the most sensational and he's gone on to do like two and a half, $3 million, this person is very, very good. I was like, I can, I can do that. Um, and, you know, learn some, some habits from him and, and kind of the way that he approached the marketplace. Um, and, and, and kind of, I think a, a lot of, a lot of recruitment is mental in terms of like, Hey, I can do two deals in a month and that's really good. But you know, if you find a world where you can get out your own way and do three or four, like, life becomes a lot easier. So, um, learn from him actually had the opportunity to help start and make grow into California, which was always a, a personal California's awesome. Um, I had the opportunity to spend time in, in Los Angeles and, and San Diego. Um, had just the most wonderful time doing it, working with with great people. Um, I think by by the end of 2021, start of 2022, I think I'd done, and, and this is a place where I think I went from from boy to man in terms of the way I look at my recruitment career. And I kind of, I did the growing that I needed to do and, you know, 
I, I think as you go further in your recruitment career, you kind of bump into more things as as well. And so I started to bump into things in terms of how I wanted to do things and how I saw things and, and how they did. So essentially things started to kind of wind down last year. I had my first first child, which came with its own challenges, of course. Oh, uh, congrats. Thank you. It's, That's it's the best. Um, but yeah. I kind of made the decision and, and obviously we'll, we'll dive into this, but um, moved back to the East Coast, uh, which is where my wife is from and it's half the distance to home for me. Um, and yeah, kind of literally a year ago today I, I quit my uh, quit my day job took a little bit of time out and then launched Hampton North and it's part of it feels like it was yesterday and the other part feels like I can't remember having a job so it's crazy what happens in, in 12 <laughs> I months it. I get it it's that I think when you're in recruiting especially when you're running your own business you go into some kind of time warp where in some ways it feels like time flies past so fast, but on the other hand, it seems like you've been at it forever. Um, great stories, Stu. I loved hearing that. Uh, that was that was good, like a eight minute kind of whistle stop tour of uh, of your recruiting career to date. Um, I wanted to circle back on a couple of couple of um, key points. One was this. Almost uh, this experience you had where you got to work alongside a really top biller and how that shifted your perspective in terms of what is possible. Um, that's so interesting to me because I do think that we're all uh, comparing ourselves to whoever we are is, is in our circle or who we know personally. Um, and that's our kind of reality of or our benchmark of what, what good looks like, what average looks like, and so on. And, uh, you know, just getting around the right people almost shifts your whole belief system about what's possible, especially if you, that person is great, but you, re you realize, well, they're not really smarter than me, or, you know, I've got the same work ethic and, and, you know, so maybe I could do it too. Like, could you elaborate a little on, the mindset component of that and, and what it was like for you personally? Yeah, and I think it goes back, there's a, a saying of your, your collective sum of the five closest people around you, right? As a, someone says it more right. eloquently than I do, but that is the long and the short of it. And if you don't know what great really is, it's really hard to quantify other than create this myth or belief system in your head that this this person that you see is a superhuman, and yes, there may be things that they do. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm happy to say the name of this person, Lee Hills. He's a, he's a wonderful yeah. recruiter, and you know, for him, it is the his his the way he is excellent is his immense levels of focus, um, his organization skills. Like he is not. I, I think we assume these brilliant recruiters are buddy buddy with every hiring manager they're out for drinks they're out for dinners with all these people and this is this is not lee lee is somebody who is hyper organized understands the exact intricacies of their marketplace and spends the time um and this is not somebody who won't be mad at me saying like grew up around academics and is obsessed with cybersecurity. this is a soccer player turned recruiter who took the time to actually understand his market so when he's speaking with hiring managers he's like I know exactly what you're looking for, where you should hire them from, and exactly what it's going to cost. So I think knowing that there's a lot of people that fluff their way around knowing their market and they don't. And so that's something that I immediately mm -hmm. learned. We went on a, a meeting with a big insurance company and I sat next to Lee and my my ability to sell and, and be the people person got us in the door. But sitting next to this person who knew the exact value of every piece of like every chess piece in their marketplace, you know, the king being the executive you know, the rooks, whatever, and exactly who has what value and why and why they would move. Like that is an, a completely underrated skill. And you, know, you may see recruitment leaders that are like, hey, recruitment is recruitment. And I can assure you that it is not. And if you, you know, again, if you're selling your value adds and, and we go back to the Stephen Lee point, like this person's value add was that they know exactly who worked where, why, for how much and why they should move. So that was something that I wanted to learn. The second is... I think the rules of engagement are very different depending on your in, like on your industry, right? And how people like to communicate. Um, if you, if I was in, 
Like if I ran a sales desk, I would probably be on, on TikTok and I would be doing more videos and I would be doing voice notes, you know, understanding how my industry operates, which is a very paranoid industry is like, hey, don't send links because they don't like to click them. And that's the first thing they tell their team. So understanding the rules of engagement. But it really, I think going back to the original point, there was no secret source. There was no, you know, hey, this person knows everybody. It was a case of exceptional discipline, knowing their market, like immense belief in what they were doing was right and a value add. Um, and then just the consistency and trusting the process. And I think as an industry, we're very good at looking for an immediate win. And if that one win doesn't work, hey, we should try something new versus like utmost belief in your process. And when you see someone do it, it's like, hey, if I follow this person and put my own spin on it, like it's it's going to work. And I think the, the biggest thing that people fall short on is the discipline to do that. Um, and it's like, hey, why isn't this working for me? And you probably see that with like, social media and branding as well. So you've been doing it for two weeks. Like, don't expect to go viral on day seven. It, it just doesn't happen. Right. Totally. And I, I'm looking forward to talking about your your LinkedIn and building, becoming a, building your personal brand, because that's something you've done a fantastic job of. What was the point at which you, you yourself started going, hang on a second, I'm actually great at this and I'm doing really well. And like all of that, effort that I've put in up to this point, it all started coming together. Yeah. So I think there was this, there was a project in month six at, at start of May that, that kind of came my way. Um, really, really fascinating company that at the time no one had heard of. I don't know if you spent much time in US airports, but there's a company called Clear that you can kind of shortcut security with your biometrics. We had this opportunity oh. to to work with them. And, and that's the, the business where we did 20 hires in eight weeks for these folks. And it's funny, like I, my, my start at start in May was steady. I'd done, you know, a few deals in my first five, six months. I think they were like, yeah, Stu's fine. Like we're getting what we're paying for. He's a fairly decent senior recruiter, which is, I was top biller at my previous company a lot, a couple of times, but like, I wasn't this huge, like industry leading person. And then th this, this project happened and it was like, you know, I think like week two, they they hired like six people. And I think it was one of those, like, I think the, the leadership was starting out like, is this is this real? Because this kind of seems a bit suspect. Um, and then the invoices start to come in and things start to become a little bit more real. And it's like, wow. And that, that kind of, I think that gave me the sense of belief of like, hey, I'm in the right industry at the right time. I'm working alongside the right brand. And, you know, I leveraged that story to be able to go and say like, Hey, I can absolutely come in and do this for you. And this is a, you know, a federally ranked prod product on site every day. Wasn't paying like industry leaders. Like it was really hard. And I and I had that story. And then you know that template really snowballed for me because you know reputationally and it's it's hard. But I think you have to take every opportunity. Like it's going to be something like this. And that's what I always say to the people mm -hmm. that work for me. It's like one one phone call, one project can like really accelerate your career. And then. You know, I, I saw that what I was doing had this extreme value. And obviously there was a high monetary number attached to it. I was like, hey, this is this is how it should be. And this and you kind of you look yourself in the mirror different when these types of opportunities come your way. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was a few inches taller. My the way I pitched just it became better and more high value. And I, you know, I walked around with a little bit more confidence at these events because I had a much, you know, I had better anecdotes and story selling is is no joke right and the longer you're in your industry i think longevity is such a friend um in an industry because the anecdotes become more relevant depending on each different circumstance um but it was a a project i, I think that really uh, and i'm still friends with my project sponsor to this day um i was on the phone to him last week about some some personal stuff but that opportunity that he gave me and yes i took it but like I'll be forever grateful because I think that really kickstarted my career and made me think like, hey, I, I do think I could be one of the very best in the industry at this where I didn't didn't necessarily have that doubt, uh, that idea in my head for like two, five weeks before even. I just thought, hey, I'll be pretty good and I'll make an okay living. Amazing. That's so cool. It sounds like that project was really the making of you, Stu. And and the the clever thing there is that now is a, a you use the word a story it's a reference point it's a case study of what impact you can make and 
you know, we've done this before for this company and here's what we delivered and here was the result. And you can take that case study, which is impressive, and then replicate it at other companies. And because you've, I think step one is proving to yourself you can do it, which gives you that belief that, wow, that was so cool. I, I can't believe I, you know, I pulled that off. But then number two, it instills the belief and credibility in others that you really can deliver at that level. So that's, uh, that's amazing. So uh, talk to me about launching Hampton North and, and uh, you know, you've, I mean, it's unbelievable what you've achieved in less than a year. It's funny that you, you quit your job exactly a year ago today. Um, that's, yeah, that's uh, kind of spooky. Um, so how the heck have you been able to, uh, like in what most people consider, it's certainly in tech, it's a downturn, um, but you've, you know, you've done extremely well. How have you done that? Yeah, so there's there's a few, I think, reasons we are where we are. Um, I, I I think I'd be naive to say that there was like there's a ton of hard work. Like I've I've been, we're a startup company. I work long days. Um, you know, there's weekends that I'm I'm doing things, etc. Um, mm -hmm. I think. One of the reasons is 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 just a lot of of hard work. Second is, I've I've always had a since the project that we just discussed. I've had an ability of once I start working with an account, you know, they're not a, a, a deal and done. Like we are, we're already at the point ten months in that we have three accounts that have spent over two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars with us, and that makes. That makes our job really easy, right? Because if we have accounts that we know and trust, and they trust us, and the process is nailed down, like it's very hard. I always think with uh, like when you're in recruiting that first like eight weeks, like it's really rare that you nail a client in the first two months. Like maybe you get lucky, maybe you do a deal, etc. But you don't really know them, you don't really know each other. Um, so we have three clients who we're very tightly embedded into. They trust us, and that makes this job really easy. Second is the two people that work for me are really, really, really good. Like that makes my life so much easier as a business leader. Like as an example, I had to take two weeks off for so, uh, a week off two weeks ago for some personal stuff. I come back and there's one hundred forty five thousand dollars on the board, and I'm like, okay, this is this is amazing, right? This is such a relieving feeling. Wow, it, I, I absolutely not, wouldn't be known as an emotional person, but it. It got me a little bit just to know that they are there and, and working the way and, and I have that support system. And I think I put something on LinkedIn that, you know, people always say, like, your business isn't really worth worth anything if you need to be there every day and everything runs through you. Yeah. Knowing what they were able to achieve in the small time that I was away, A, I think as the business grows, it's going to allow me to have more confidence to take time off, which is going to be better for my my health, my marriage, my fat, like my ability as a father. So that's that's great. Um, I think it's it's very difficult to manage their expectations because both of them are recovering million dollar billers in a new marketplace, right? So it's one of these like we're not happy with like I I, I look I'm looking back and I am happy with how things are going and the numbers and obviously we're very profitable. But in terms of recent expectations, we're all kind of behind of what we're used to doing. So I think there is that mindset of like, hey, we know what we're capable of and what we're used to. So doing this right now, we're kind of doing it through gritted teeth. We're not necessarily as as happy and we're scrapping to to do more and and, and do better, um, which is which is a great mindset to have, right? If you have a team, you know, if I hire and we're 500K ahead and people are annoyed, like I love that. Like in terms of the expectations that we're going to set for each other as a as colleagues, as a business, right? Like that is just the most tremendous feeling because look, I'm a bit more pragmatic on whether we ever see a boom like 2021 and 2022 again. But if we see an uptick yeah. and we can get closer to being 700k ahead or 800k ahead, like a that is just from a what I see across the industry, like expectation wise, I think that is higher. Um, I don't. I don't. Oh, it's absolutely. I don't high. think we'll ever be as big as as some of the folks that you know have offices of twenty, you know, fifty or one hundred or whatever. But the the vision to me of working with fifteen people who are 
averaging $500,000, $750,000 a head. And that individual brilliance that collectively moves them further on, like to me, that is an absolute fantasy land for me. I don't, I don't want to be speaking in front of 300 people at a conference in Las Vegas or whatever. And that, to me, that's not how I, you know, and I appreciate that there are some folks who are, we love the collective thing and we would rather have 300, 280K billers or whatever. And, and that is, there is no right way to do recruitment, but there is a way that I will be a lot more stimulated and engaged as a leader, which is just working with these tremendous people. Like I can't tell you how much easier it is working with these highly intelligent driven folks who, you know, are pu pushing me as a leader versus sitting there and waiting yeah. for direction. Like it really does stimulate me to to be a better boss as well. And it's it's funny, there's, you know, yeah. there's things that I'm trying to do right now, like my presentations and things like that. And Spencer, who I've worked with for a very long time, he's like, you're not a presentations guy. I was like, there's a lot of things I'm not, but as a well-rounded leader, there's things that I just have to invest in myself and my time doing, but getting that feedback from my team that's honest, but like sees that they know I'm pushing forward too. Like it is gratifying and that's, you know, that's really where I want to see this business is just like exceptionally high standards. And if it's it's smaller but powerful, I, I would be a lot happier. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Okay, thank, great answer. And so there's a couple of key takeaways there. One, I mean, obviously the hard work is, that's that's like the price of entry, right? That's, that's the baseline. If you're starting a new business and you want to do really well, especially in this market, it's there's going to be hustle involved. But the two keys there that I'm taking away, number one is you're absolutely developing key account relationships. It's not like uh, one-off one deals, which obviously to, to build a lot doing single placements, like a placement at this company, placement at that company is hard, right? Because you don't know them, they don't know you. There's not the, you know, the, the, the placement process and established. Harder to sell a company that you don't know as well so many factors going against you. And so you've very strategically taken that approach of we, we want to work with clients where we can really build those, uh, those relationships and, and do multiple placements. Second is the quality of the people that you hire, right? And you made the point, it's so much easier as a leader if you have people who are intelligent and they have their own drive. You don't... People... <laughs> You really can't motivate people, right? No. You can create a climate or an environment where people, you know, are stimulated to do their best, but ultimately it has to be intrinsic. It has to come from them. And uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. And that's been definitely my experience. I have two team members, Leanne and, and Julie here in the UK, and then I've got a team in the Philippines as well. Leanne and Julie have both been business owners and they just have an incredible drive. They're intelligent and they are driving the business forward. You know, it's almost like, you know, one plus one plus one equals 10. It's amazing the multiplier effect that that has, which, so I can definitely relate to what you're saying. How did you, how did you get to 
top people when you're a startup? What, you know, what was your, what's your secret there? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I will pat myself on the back in terms of, I think that there is a couple of things as a leader I do very well. And I'm really good at hiring people that make me look great. And so I have, look, I'd, I'd worked with Spencer previously and we had the opportunity to do this again. And he is somebody who I implicitly trust. And that's, that's a big thing, right? Like I trust him with my reputation, my brand, you know, and so he's somebody that I wanted to, to do this again with when that, that opportunity came up. So that, that was one. And, you know, I, I, so let me just, let me just pause there for a sec. So that's an obvious, but might sometimes overlooked opportunity is I'm starting a new business. Who have I worked with in the past where we worked really well together, where I respect them, I trust them. I know they're going to work hard. Like let's, um, let's leverage that, uh, you know, because hiring can be like a roll of the dice, right? You can never really know from an, it's like a first yeah. date or even if you do a couple of dates, you know, you're seeing uh, one side of someone, but until you work with them, you just don't know if they're, if they're who they say they are, if they're going to perform, or even if just they're going to click from a chemistry point of view. So that's a huge head start if you already know yeah. them. Um, There's a, what about number two? So number two, and again, this is somebody who I knew of via my network. Okay. So we'd, we'd never worked together, but I had worked with and hired somebody who had had worked with her and honestly would not sh shut up singing the praises of, of this person. And so we had connected, the timing wasn't right. And so the timing was right earlier this year. And we actually moved up uh, hiring timelines because there was an opportunity to get somebody great who came pre-vetted. You know, we felt like we knew each other, even though we, we didn't directly. And so it was one of those situations where had I waited, I, I don't know that I would ever get this person again, because again, somebody who I'm super grateful to have, her talent is immense. Her drive is fantastic. Um, again, million dollar biller. And so that, that came pre-validated she knew enough about me to know what I'm good at and my blind spots. And I think there's that we were the vehicle that she wanted to, to be part of in the way that I view the market. And so, yeah, took, took the opportunity. And I mean, she did $84,000 in her third week and it was just the, you know, you never know how things are going to work out, but that immediate stamp, it's like, wow, this is just fantastic. And, and so super, super grateful for, you know, what she's already been able to achieve and excited for, for what's kind of moving forward. And I, I kind of want to go back to your point. Um, there's a there's a book, and I can't remember the name of it, and I'll send it afterwards or whatever, but it's essentially a spinoff based on the start of GitHub. And the founding team are sat in a room, and the, the, the founder says, hey, who are the five smartest people you, you know? And they go around the room, they talk about these engineers, lawyers, sales folks. And I said, why don't they work here? And, you know, as a, as a founder, I have the ability to pull on the levers, whether that's based on compensation, based on opportunity, equity. I, I can pull all of the levers as well as the vision, right? Like creating the vision of building something. But you, you shouldn't really use excuses of, hey, if I have this exceptional opportunity to hire somebody and I know they're great and I want to work with them, like that that's on me and I can do everything in my power to get them. And so that's, that's the approach that I'm taking is, you know, who are the best people I know and, and why are they not here? And again, you know, I have to be mm -hmm. somewhat careful as a business owner from a financial standpoint, but in our industry, everything is exceptionally clear. You make money for the business or you don't, right? Like it's, there's obviously a lot more nuance to that if you're a, you know, an in-house counsel or a product designer. But in our industry, it's pass-fail. Like if somebody's good, they'll make money for your business and you'll structure it to make it make sense for both of you. And if they're not good, they won't make money for the business and you will lose. So it's very easy. So essentially, you know, my job is to make this an attractive place for those folks that I do know. And then part of my job is the folks that I don't know, making sure I know them so that I can 
strike when that opportunity comes up. Stu, that is brilliant. I love this idea. I don't know why I've never thought of this. I, I need, I'm, it's causing me to rethink. So who are the best people that I know and why aren't they already working here? Yes. That's a, that's a great thought experiment. Um, and what would it take for us to get them working here? Uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's really smart. So <clears throat> what was it that you, about what you're building that attracted though? Like, so they, you already knew each other, which helps in the first case, and you knew of each other in the second case, but um, they're already doing really well, you know, where they were, and they would both have lots of opportunities. Why have they hitched their wagons to your train? Yeah, uh, I would I would like to think that we are, the way that we approach the market, which is in a very grown-up, um, very industry-centered, like, I don't care how attractive my business is to the recruitment industry or the investment industry, et cetera. I really care about what the cybersecurity industry think of our brand and who we are and what we do, because the reality is if we're cheerleaded and liked and respected by the cybersecurity industry, we will find a way to monetize that. And this, you know, this year it could be contingent recruiting in five years, it could be running the entire SOW for the biggest bank. Like, I'm commercially savvy enough to create that if we're liked and respected by our industry. And I think what, what I have a good pedigree of is developing people when they need to be developed and getting out the way when they need to be left. And so, you know, I think across the industry, I have that, that reputation of a leader of I'm never going to stand above you and tell you that you need to do this and you need to do that because Again, the self-motivation to your point, that is not something that can be taught. I've I've worked with yep. I've worked with a ton of people who have made a hundred dials and they've sent 60 emails, but reluctantly because they're looking over their shoulder and it's not there, right? Like they're doing what they're supposed to do versus knowing what they need to do. And I know that, you know, Ruby and, and Spencer and whoever joined this business will have aggressive goals. And I have the reputation of of getting there. And I think not everybody likes this, but I still get on the front lines with these folks. And I think some people like to see that in a leader of like, hey, I'll dive in and help you with a sourcing campaign or I'll bring this client on. And so I think the fact that I'm still in the field and still doing it versus I think having a leader who's not as fresh or doesn't get the game, um, I think that perspective is something they respect. Uh, and then I just think, again, like they both, I think they both come from backgrounds like, Ruby comes from Motion. Spencer had previously done like Frank Group and Cybercoders before we worked together. Like there isn't that growth opportunity or opportunity to really shape or own anything. Like we are so malleable right now, and these next five to ten mm -hmm. hires will have such such an opportunity to shape how the the business works. Obviously, they have to execute day in day out, but that that mm -hmm. allows them access to like, hey, maybe these folks will never get again and 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 it is just such an exciting opportunity for them and i'm only going to benefit because they are both excellent good answer Stu. the reason i asked you that question is because a lot of recruitment business owners tell us oh but we're only like a one or two person business so we can't attract the top talent right uh and you've disproven that because you've just created a proposition which is attractive to those individuals. And in terms of the way that you lead, as well as the vision and the reputation you want to build within cybersecurity, in addition to the, like, they're getting in at the ground floor with limitless potential rather than they're in a larger structure where they have less, you know, chance to progress and so on. There's, there's definitely a, a, a story to be told there, and you've done a you've done a great job. Um, you mentioned reputation. I want to come on to that because you've done a phenomenal job of building your network and becoming a recognized industry leader. Could you break down a little bit how you've gone about that? Yeah. So I would say initially it was more happenstance than de deliberate. Uh, I like I always kind of liked LinkedIn and and used it maybe more than most, like 2013, 2014, 15, and and used it more as a Hey, I don't think many people are using this to direct outreach people. Like, hey, I can talk to to fix this problem. I don't think it was as 
big on the posting or utilizing it as a, as a billboard, et cetera. And so didn't, didn't really use it or weaponize it, I would say, up until like 2017, 2018, when it really, I think the, the platform really picked up steam, probably because influencer branding became a thing, right? They're kind of hand in hand, right? Like Instagram, people didn't sell things on Instagram 10 years ago. Now they do, right? So there's this this opportunity to to garner attention. And I initially used it as kind of a public public job board. And I see some of these recruiters do it. And it's like, hey, I'm working on this role, et cetera, but they don't really inject any any personality in it. And I think kind of 2019 is where I realized like I'm not like I want to get in front of more people. When I get in front of people, they really like me nine times out of ten. Look, not everybody's gonna like me. I'm not gonna like everybody. It's and I'm okay with that. But what if there's a world where I can use LinkedIn as a way to showcase some of my achievements, show that I actually get this industry, share some of the things that I'm working on, and also have have an opinion on stuff. And I draw the line in certain areas and opinion, like we'll leave religion, politics, like certain things that like let's let's just park that. But you know, there's certain things that do get people talking, right? Like we see things around mm. return to office or you know, changing in compensation structures. And, you know, I think there's a world where people are scared that they won't be liked or that they'll, you know, rub someone up the wrong way, et cetera. But like the reality is, like I love creating debate. Like one of the most, I remember being in school, one of the most engaging things for me was like on the debate team. I, I actually really liked it. And maybe I should have been a lawyer. I don't know. But, um, you know, <laughs> ultimately I think there's there's a platform. And so, you know, I like engaging with other people. It's a, you know, particularly during COVID, it became almost impossible to engage with folks. So, you know, I really use that as a as, as a springboard. Probably take it from even B to C for me. Of like now, I would say having a like a fairly loyal following on there of folks who will do favors people that I haven't met, and they, you know, when I do meet them, they're like, "Hey, I kind of feel like I know you," and and that's yeah. that's my. <clears throat> That that's what I'm trying to do, right? Like because I can't I can't reach out to forty thousand people. It's impossible. But if I can give you a, a little piece of me and you like it, when I am reaching out, like a there's a familiarity and people people don't like to buy things that they've never heard of, right? Like you don't you know you see a car brand that you've never heard of or a chocolate bar, you're like no I'll have Cadbury's or you know I'll buy Volkswagen or whatever because I know it, right? I've seen it even if I've never had it. Mm -hmm. That seems a little bit more, and that's why. That's why Starbucks goes into these like nowhere towns that no one's heard of. And there probably is this wonderful, you know, espresso house or whatever, but you don't know it. So maybe you don't trust it. So, you know, I've created a brand that there's a familiarity. And when I pick up the phone or I email somebody or I check the message on LinkedIn, hey, like I'm saying, hey, it's Stu or like it's Stuart Mitchell. Like you, you know why I'm calling, you know what this is. Let's do this. And I think it it's somewhat disarming um that they know why I'm calling and and what it's for and you know it creates a fair amount of inbound leads and look I've again like from a talent attraction perspective going back to Spencer and Ruby right there's people in my marketplace that are sick of the sight of me like that are recruiting against me and they they <laughs> like why does he have so many jobs why is one of my clients commenting on their his post and it gives other people and that's a that's another value add to me is like I like to scare the the, the people that I'm going up against I like them to think oh like you know, I I tell my uh, I tell my accounts like, tell them that you're a Stuart Mitchell account, tell them you're a Stuart account, and then they'll just leave you alone. Um, but I love going up against people and creating that that wall that others can't break down. Um, and so, and it's honestly really fun. Like I think that's the other part of it that people don't appreciate is like, I have a ton of fun on there. I put some stupid stuff up there. I'm not, you know, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm, you know sending pictures of my weekend or my pint or whatever that is. But like, I give people a little bit of insight to my life, but I also like if there's real world events and things like that, like I, I think there's some fun to be had with it and people seem to engage. So I like doing it and it's been exceptional for my career. Great, great, great. Um, there's a few things I want to pick up on there. One is this idea of wanting to be liked and that inhibits people so much it is such a and i i it took me a long time to get over this myself like that did want to, i think what a lot of people go into sales because they want people to like them you know it's that that need to be liked and if you're 
hesitating to post stuff on LinkedIn because you're worried that, mm, but people might, you know, not not like that, or they might, you know, whatever, then uh, you're thinking about it completely the wrong way because actually your job is to expose your brand to as many people in your market as possible and some people and just be yourself. Yes. And you will attract the people who say, I, that guy, Stu Mitchell, I like his personality. I like the way he comes across. I like his, the way he thinks. I'm going to follow up with him, right? Now, there will be other people who dislike Stu Mitchell, but we have no control over that. All your, if you were just cold calling all day, I mean, A, you couldn't cold call 40,000 people, but B, it would take you forever to find those ones who love Stu yep. Mitchell, right? Or Mark Whitby. Uh, but so what you're doing is accelerating that process of people getting to hear about you and getting to know you. And the ones that like you, you just, they come to the top of, they come to the surface and you start conversations and relationships with them. And the ones who don't like you, uh, fine. They, yeah. you, you, you bump into them as well. But that is an incredible I, don't, I think people don't really understand this, which is why I'm kind of belaboring this point. But for me, it's been the podcast, like until, so until 2019, even though I've been in this, I've been doing this since, I started this business in 2001, um, I was still relatively unknown. Like my clients knew yeah. me, but I like, I didn't have that big of a following but this podcast has brought so many opportunities and, and brought me in contact with so many amazing people that I would have never predicted simply because the people who like you get a chance to hear you and, and decide for themselves, is this, do I like this guy? Do I want to follow him? Do I want to have a conversation with him? So I think you've done an amazing job. And the second thing that you pointed out with people take your call, people respond to your email. A lot of recruiters, <clears throat> their frustration, their their challenge is I'm sending these emails, no one's responding, or I'm making cold call after cold call and I'm just not getting through, or I'm sending these emails and the response rate's low. But that's because it's cold. People don't know yeah. you. And I'm not like you're getting inbound, which is awesome. And you will get inbound if you post regularly on LinkedIn, but you still have to be proactive. But it's that combination if you're proactive and you build a brand and build a following, it just amplifies your outbound and increases your response rate. Would you agree? hundred percent. And what what's interesting is when I do outbound, clients that they're like, hey, I didn't know you'd wanted to work with us. And that is just the craziest thing to hear, right? Like I think people are assuming that I'm out there choosing my clients and saying, hey, I'm too busy for you. And they're like, wow, you'd, you'd want to spend some time working with us, which is a Again, it's a mirage that I've created because that's that's like I would love. There's so many businesses that I would love to work with, but you create this this image, this visual of like, hey, I'm super busy, which we are busy, but like never too busy, and and you know would always like to to have more and 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 kind of maximize our revenue opportunities. But creating that like, oh wow, sure, I, I didn't realize that you would want to take this on, and so it changes the story. And I also think there's a there's a narrative of I get access to some great opportunities. So I think there's a world where people are like, hey, I don't want to piss this guy off because there's a world where whilst I know he wants to work with us now, like I want to get access to some of the things that that he has when when they come his way. So there is that kind of I know the I know the caliber of opportunities that he has in our ecosystem. And he's the gatekeeper to some of them. Not obviously not all of them. It's a big industry, but kind of want to keep this guy sweet. So I get a, yeah. and again, that's through years of, of being in the same space, but there is a world where people want to, whether they can work with me or want to work with me or don't, I think there is a world where I get a, a level of respect that maybe not everybody does. And that's because of this, this image that is on LinkedIn of this, you know, successful recruiter who is busy working on some great stuff with some great opportunities the way that the industry interact with me is like, hey, Stu, sorry, I'd love to. And if I can push something, I will versus unsubscribe. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Stu, could you break down a little bit your process for creating content consistently? Because this is 
it, it, you used the analogy earlier of you can't go to the gym. I think you, I, I think I remember this, but yeah. you said like, you know, you can't expect miracle, you, you know, you, or you can't post for a couple yeah. of weeks and then expect everything to go viral. Right. It's, uh, it's compound interest over time consistently and the long tail of that. Um, and people don't get instant results and they, they give up or they're, they, they, I don't know what it is, but what's your process for making sure that you're able to do this consistently? It's, it's absolutely baked into every single part of my day. Um, almost to the point where I maybe spend too much time on LinkedIn, but I also, that that's <laughs> yeah, where guilty. I get most of my return of investment, right? So that's where I spend a lot of my time. I, I budget time. I try and get two to three posts out a day, which is probably more than most. Oh, wow. So, um, some will be, now that's some, it. yeah, Interesting. It's, it's a lot, okay. right? Um, one will be a random thought I have in the day. One will be a, a job opportunity that we're working on. And one will be something more structured about what's happening in the industry or, or something along those lines. It is probably less structured than it sounds. A lot of it is is free thought and that's okay. Like I think one of the beauties of working from home is I got nobody to share my brain fart with. So everybody has to listen, right? Like, oh my God, what would happen if this happened? And instead of just like the other day, I was thinking like, okay, one of the Ruby on my team is trying to give up caffeine and she's scary right now because she's trying to give up caffeine. And I was like, is there a, you know, I was like, maybe there's a leadership course on this. And I was like, I, I throw it out on LinkedIn. It gets a hundred likes and it's about nothing, right? That's just an entire like stupid thing that reminds people that I'm there and, you know, shows again that I have a bit of a personality. So, but it's, it's a, it's a consistent thing. Like it is something that happens. It's, it's part of my everyday. And I think a lot of people, struggle for content but what they probably don't realize is then they'll struggle for content go and have a conversation with their colleague about something that could be semi-interesting or a conversation with a candidate or a conversation with a client like oh did you yes. see in the news the other day that you know this company are you know really heavily investing into the philippines or this company are you know bringing in this product and it's like hey you know, i've noticed a lot of companies are you know, move it and ship in nearshoring and you can like you're having these conversations and without knowing it you're creating content you're just not creating content with it it's most of the ideas that you're having aren't fresh it's just a rehashed conversation that you've had with a candidate with a client with your wife with your business partner like whatever like you have fairly original thoughts every day just write them down and you know if you're I probably haven't gone as far as this, but I know folks who are great content creators that do. Comedians take a pen and paper everywhere, right? And the weirdest ideas come up to them yeah. in the gym, in the shower, when they're, you know, whatever. Take note of it. And sometimes, like, I'll, at the weirdest times, have an idea and I will schedule it for tomorrow because, you know, sometimes that when things come out it is important. But don't lose those good ideas because you do lose them. Like, there's times where I was like, ah, oh, had this great idea for content. It was a Saturday afternoon and I completely forgot about it. Um, and it just never made it out. So I think like the observations that you're having on a daily basis, all you have to do is vocalize them. Like you're not, I'm, I'm not here, you know, staring at a, a whiteboard every day going, oh, what's the content strategy for today? It's like, what happened in the conversations that I had that were semi-interesting that someone else might have an opinion or want to hear about? Okay, awesome. Um I love the idea that you shared about the conversations you're having every day are rich with uh, opportunities for creating content, right? Because you're in your market, you're speaking to clients, you're speaking to candidates. What are the trends or what are the conversations? What are the like pain points that people are expressing? So like some of our best posts have been, you know, like the equivalent of, oh, I was speaking to a cyber security leader today and he said, blank. Yeah. And if it's something that more than one person has said to you, you know that that is going to resonate with many people in your network. And then they're like, oh yeah, that's true. I, I noticed that as well. And that creates the conversation. Um, and almost like just documenting things that you're doing. So what's going on within your business, what's going on in your world, um, as well as the jobs and the, you know, the other things, there's almost an inexhaustible supply of content ideas uh, once you start getting into the habit of thought, right? Of, of noticing those things and capturing them. How do, you, how do you capture those ideas, Stu? So a lot of it is I have my phone 
on me. So it's like, hey, like, and yeah. if I'm on a, having a conversation immediately, I'm like, cool, I'm going to half type this out and leave a tab open because it's super interesting. And sometimes, you know, if I get really deep into something, like, you know, I spoke to somebody on Wednesday and she was, you know, she'd done a talk on, you know, as a cybersecurity leader, at what point do, you know, if their business is acting unethically, because there's a lot that sits on the, the head of security, like, what do you do? And she did a talk and I was like, hey, do you mind if I paraphrase some of these things? Because this is good for my content. She's like, no, please go ahead. Um, so mm. I'm always trying to, you know, if it's, if it's live, I will just say, schedule it. Like as an example, you know, I, I spoke to a candidate last week and they were like, hey, the AWS recruiters are coming back again. Like this is probably a good sign for the market. And it's, you know, there's a joke in our industry that when Amazon are hiring, everyone else is going to follow suit. So I put like, hey, like, People are getting more messages from AWS. Things are starting to look up. And so, you know, it, it's it's these, A, if you're not having these conversations, you're probably not doing the job right. Like, hey, what are you seeing? Are you getting interviews? What kind of types of businesses are calling? You know, what are some of the compensation ranges you're seeing? How do they compare? Like, what do you need? Um, if you're not having those conversations, you're probably not doing recruitment right. Like, you can't be like, hey, what's your rate? Are you interviewing? Like, you need to be having conversations about what people are seeing, both on the client and candidate side to really understand them. And to your point, like it's infinite. And then, you know, if you're if you're less structured, have a pen and paper. I'd, I'm not a pen and paper person, but if you're at your desk, just write them down. You know, depending on how structured you are, some people need like rigorous structure in their day plan. So if that's, you know, if you can't get to it right now, write it down five o'clock, do two scheduled posts for tomorrow. And then that's not to worry about. I'm a little bit more artist, 63 tabs open type. Like that's, how I operate. I, I operate in chaos and I thrive in chaos. That is not for everybody. So I can half do a post, you know, reach out and schedule an interview to somebody whilst doing it. And I don't know that it's necessarily the most effective way and it's not how I coach people. Um, yeah. But make <laughs> note of everything that you have that is relevant. And, you know, if you're present in the mindset that every conversation that you're having probably has something interesting, if it doesn't, you're probably doing your job ineffectively and you need to dive deeper and then take notes and pick the best two and load it up for tomorrow and it will become a habit and it will become fairly easy and what you'll realize is it's not another forced topic about who's got the best office dog where you went on your holiday in europe you know what whether people are returning to office or not because you can you can smell forced content you can sense when people are posting because they're in their structure to post versus people that are doing it somewhat organically and it's interesting compared to what other people aren't doing. And that that's the way that, you know, I try and stay away from too much of a weekly content structure because people will follow it and fall in line and you lose the flair of randomness. Um, but it's a hard balance. I think we're, yeah, uh, we're probably a compromise between, like we do have a structure and we're, in our coaching program, we have... Like, first of all, the pillars, what do you want to become famous for? Like, you can't just post about anything and everything. Yeah. You need to focus. So you become known for, for example, you know, cybersecurity and people associate you with that topic. And so you want to carefully choose what are the key topics that I want to be known for? And then some personal stuff as well. But then we have almost uh, a list of prompts. And by prompts, I don't mean chat yeah. GPT prompts. I mean, to prompt your own thinking um, as to, to get into the flow of, of unleashing that creativity. But then at the same time, sometimes they are random yeah. thoughts. And the funny thing is to sometimes the posts that have been the easiest to write that almost like I just rattled off in 30 seconds, get the most traction and something that I labored over for an hour and it just Six bombs. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I do think, it's, yeah, I think exactly. there is a, and you know, I kind of see this as the, Kind of the writer striking in Hollywood, right? Like the the more you force it and try and make things rigid and structured, like it's really hard to force great ideas. Great ideas are free flowing, and this is where, again, you know, I think similar to your business, we do have these. We work remote, but we have these like in office days once a quarter where we're walking around getting yep. coffee or whatever, and these ideas come to us because when you're sat staring at a screen trying to force magic. It doesn't happen. Um, and so it is, you know, some of these ideas, and I think there was somebody I was connecting with. Some people have their best ideas in the gym because it's where they're at their most creative. Some people have their best ideas when they're lying in bed at night and they switch off and all of a sudden 
pow, there it comes. Like when you're like, hey, how can I create magic? You don't create magic. When you stop thinking about it, idea after idea flows into your head. It's when I'm when I'm running, that's when that's exactly it. Because I'm relaxed and I'm not like my mind is free to kind of um yeah, and then the ideas just come. Uh I'm I'm curious that I'm just want to geek out a minute here on LinkedIn because the, according to the reports that I've read about the LinkedIn algorithm, um when you post multiple times a day, it has an adverse effect supposedly on your um, on your reach, but obviously it's working for you. What's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, so I I do think there is there is something to be said for that. I think because it's, I think because I'm unstructured about when I post and how and what. I, I think the algorithm, mm-hmm. wh- whatever I do, the algorithm likes because it doesn't feel like there's somebody doing it that isn't me. Um, so look, there are things that bomb. I think there's a lot of things like, as an example, if I attach an article or you know a an external link or, you know, something along those lines, things do not go well because of the LinkedIn algorithm. But I think it's because some days I'll post four times and some days I'll get busy and won't post. I think because of the the complete randomness of the way that I structure it, I think I think randomness is algorithm friendly. I think what they hate is structure. Okay. Think, and again, I can't, this is maybe beyond me. And I, you know, I, I was a little bit worried because I'd heard there was going to be extreme changes to the LinkedIn algorithm I think a month or so ago, yeah. and I haven't seen what I was worried might be a negative connotation for somebody like me who does rely on content. Um, yeah, but I, I've seen I've seen some effect of that, and uh, I think they're the, from from what I understand, having having looked into this, the algorithm is now favoring content where you are sharing knowledge, showing expertise, and uh, rather than random selfies that do not that that don't really have any value they're looking for value they're looking for expertise and sharing of knowledge um having said that we've decided and what we teach our clients is still do the selfies because people want to it's important that people know who you look what you look like and that also you're relatable if you show a, a window into your world but you might not get the um, same, you know, cause in the past personal content, like here's my yeah. dog would outperform everything, yeah. right? It would be, that would be your guaranteed best post of the week was, you know, your dog to work. But, um, now that's probably not going to be the yeah. case, but then again, post your dog yeah. anyway, because other people, people like do- have dogs people and like dogs. dogs. <laughs> people like dogs, people right. like kids, like you know, I think there's a couple of there's a right. picture of my daughter in a Hampton North onesie when she was little, and that probably yeah, outperformed yeah, yeah. everything. And you know, she sat on my lap when I'm working from a hotel and stuff like that. Like, I'm still going to do it. Like, it's not again, it's not part yeah. of my content strategy or anything like that. But if I'm working and she's sat like grabbing my leg or whatever, and my wife catches a good moment, like let them let the people see it. Like I, again, it's not going to change how I Definitely. operate, but some folks like it. And you know, if I put a smile on one person's face before. I don't think that hurts anything at all. Amazing. So uh, you're absolutely ripping up trees in your first year, Stu. Where do you go from here? Look, continually moving the business forward. I think like this, we have the beauty of great people in the business. We're now at the point where we have money in the bank, which, you know, for the first few months, like when you're, especially when you hire, like I hired maybe a little bit earlier than I had to. Um, and cash flow is not something as an employee that you're super stressed about, right? Like, it's like, hey, there's money here. Like, if we overspend initially, like, I'm looking at the other way, like, hey, i got to throw my own money in to cover some savings while things come in and stuff like that. So now it's, you know, we can we can ruin everything with three bad hires. So it's get a couple more hires in, end of this year, start of next year, that are not just, like, contributing, but continue to raise the bar of me and Spencer and Ruby, so who can make us better, Um and really push the business forward, but like not not for vanity's sake. Like we truly want people that bring the business forward. I think you know what we need to look at from a overall business, you know, overall business value is like okay, I need to spend some time on the business, understanding like okay, what is our complete value proposition to the market that also exists outside of myself? Because while we're small, 
it's really good that people can use my name, et cetera. But how does that help someone who maybe isn't in the cybersecurity market come to the market and weaponize? So we need to, going back to where we almost started, you know, we need to bring some of these anecdotal stories to the marketplace. So that's a really big focus for us. Um, you know, create some leadership fundamentals because, you know, I would love to start kind of shaping some of the the leadership areas. And and again, like it's it's going to be another, I don't expect it to be an easy year, you know, maximize the opportunities with our current clients, you know, bring three to five more key clients to the Hampton North portfolio um, and just move the business forwards. I'm not headcount obsessive, but I also don't want us to stay still. And the only way we stay still is by yeah. bringing people in. Um, and, and just how, like, I want to have a bit more fun with it. I think like I am outcome obsessed. And so that's always been really good to me, my family and, and our bank balance and stuff. But I think there's some moments where I got to slow down and and, and enjoy it a, a little bit more. So that's something like as a, as a leader, like have a little bit more fun with it versus putting a ton of pressure on myself um, because like it's, it's so funny that everyone gets to this like very high point. And I'm very confident that like, Five ten years from now, I'll be looking down on some something that I've built that I'll be very proud of. But I don't want to regret not living in the minute and living in the moment because I'm focused yeah. so far on the road ahead. You know, everyone talks about the yeah. the journey being better than the destination. I don't know that I'm living that right now. So I think that's as much as I have these like huge grand goals. Maybe just have a little bit more fun with it, and you know that'll get us where we need to get to. Sounds awesome, my friend. And uh, when you remember that book title, let me know, because that, yes. that idea of who are the smartest people we know and why aren't they working here, um, that's really cap captured my imagination today. But uh, really enjoyed that conversation, Stu. Thank you so much. Real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Stu. Speak to you soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.